some snoggage occurred and uh, it was really fun. I think I smoked a cigar to impress him and it worked. Hello, welcome to the Real Work Podcast with me, Fleur Emery. Unedited conversations with women who are changing up the world of work. Extraordinary women who are founders, thought leaders or trailblazers here to inspire and inform your idea of what's possible for you. This week on The Real Work Podcast, our guest is Alison Perry, blogger, author, and former Top of the Pops employee, which is, of course, where we go first. We can't resist going down the little rabbit hole into celeb land. We also cover the uncharted territory of body image, um, influencer life, and the world of a stay-at-home husband. Enjoy. Am I late to my own podcast? <laughs> only a couple of mins. Yes. Only a, only a twinge. I've got super rustly trousers on. <laughs> <laughs> so if I need a little scratch in the nether regions or anything, it's going to be a bit of a giveaway. If you hear... Shall I give you a demonstration? They're really rustly, Flo. <laughs> I wonder if you know those people who like what's it called SML or something. Oh, what is it? AS- like oh, ASMR. Yeah. Oh, I'd yeah. love to hear Fleur Let, Emery. Should we do, ASMR. Let's do that. <laughs> let's do that. Ready? Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's that's really doing it. <laughs> if you like Fleur, I could sit here eating a bag of hula hoops. If you, if you want me to add to, you know, that kind I've of got, vibe. I've got half a drunk bottle of Aperol here, so um, <laughs> I could crack that open. What happened to the rest of it, Buckers? It was consumed. <laughs> Did you have a good time? Are you not, not all in one go. Okay. Welcome to the podcast, Alison. Thanks for having me, Flower. It's great to have you. You were um, in my early experimental days of podcasting. We have a, a looser approach on this one. Sounds good. We don't, we don't really, inter- we, it's not really an interview. It's um, the point of this podcast is to talk to women who have found interesting, curious or creative ways to kind of solve the problems that women face in the world of work. So kind of who have who don't do the nine to five and find a better way. And um, that's why we're here. And apart from that, anything goes. There's usually some jacket potato chat. Always. There's usually some a little bit of double entendre occasionally gets thrown in. That kind of stuff sounds good. I'm, I'm so, here yeah, for it. There won't be, there won't be any um, there won't be any deep questions. Your podcast has been going for ages, so you know well. You know more than us. It takes a lot of hard work, doesn't it? Oh, it's quite it's, hard work having oh, a podcast. I mean, it's a ball ache at times, Flora. But <laughs> and it's one of those things that when you listen to podcasts, you have no idea about the work that goes into it. Um, but it's fun, isn't it? Having conversations. Of, you know, you just made a friend people. in the. You just made a friend with Buckers. She's raising oh, the Alison, roof. This made me so happy. It's just so happy to be validated in this way. Thank you. <laughs> and also, it's not easy, right? Because I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I do listen to some and think, "Oh, I'm 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 better at that than you. Like I'm <gasps> I'm better at editing." Good. You know, oh, I don't really like what you've done there. And, oh, you know. You ruin I, I yourself, tell, don't you? I can tell that there's an edit there. You've cut that and you haven't done it very well. Um, so actually, I think that it's a skill. So Buckers, all hail Buckers. You're, you're doing a great job. 
Thank you, Alison. That's and also really it's good great business, business, isn't it, Buckers? <laughs> because your business is growing um, a little bit fast for my liking. <laughs> <laughs> but it's everyone wants a podcast these days. Brilliant. Everyone wants a piece of you. A little and slice I do, of Buckers. As I am encouraging you to grow your business with my real hat on, I also slightly feel like if you do too well, you won't do our podcast anymore. <laughs> and you'll believe me. You've got to keep me sweet. That's it. Leave me now. Take away the very heart. It'd be awful. Who else would we have? We'd be able to. Um, well, you're irreplaceable. The um, you commit. You do one a week, Alison. I do. I used to do one a week on a completely rolling basis, which I find completely un- unsustainable, really. Um, and when I had my twins in 2018, I switched to doing series, like seasons, if we want to use the American term, seasons. Um, and I find that better. So I'm, I'm about to have a break. I've got my last episodes um, going out soon of this series, and then I'm having a break for the summer, and then I'll be back. And I just find that much kind of easier i mean you know sometimes we've got to take the easy route right we've got to do what works for us sustainability it's all about what you can sustain because we know that well data indicates that the podcasts that do well do well over time because people get to know them and you get you know doing it for the kids frankie's podcast is so great and that she's just been on and on you know she's been going so long she's part of the family now with with her listeners isn't she yeah and um so you, yeah, I kind of, I thought at the beginning that we'd just be going out in a blaze of glory and be, you know, no, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It is, it is. Let's, Buckers is really curious about your early career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fleur told me, Alison, that you used to work on, uh, on a little programme called Top of the Pops. I did. I mean, I can't really claim to have worked on the programme. I my very first job out of uni was uh, like the lowest rung of the ladder working um, on the Top of the Pops website. Now, this was in 2000, the year 2000, when, you know, websites were nothing like the bells and whistles we have now. It, it was really a glorified data entry job because Is every... Is that when we to get the website, you have to go... Yeah, dial-up. Practically. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, part of my job was basically... Okay, so I had really brilliant parts of the job. So every Thursday, we would, as a team, go to the recording of Top of the Pops. And that was, like, for a 21-year-old, that was just the most <laughs> incredible thing because I got to see, like, Madonna and <gasps> Do Coldplay you meet Simon LeBron? And, um, no, I didn't, but... Just say yes, Alison. Just listen, say When she name-checks anyone, just... Yeah, she's all a quiver. Um... I don't want to say who it was, but a very famous rock star flirted with me in the the backstage area. And I didn't even recognise it as being a flirt because I was so kind of taken aback. And I was so not expecting this huge, like worldwide rock star to flirt with me. And I just kind of giggled and walked off. Um, But it was was incredible. It was amazing. But really... Why can't you say who that was? You have to tell us. Because it's Come just on. a bit cringe and, and you know, obviously you've got a very, very big listenership and if oh, he hears this... We have. He's probably listening. I don't, I don't imagine so, Fleur. Um, Give us, what does it rhyme with? Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, as long as he's not like a convicted sex offender or something, I think it's fine to mention them. Okay, it rhymes with 
and, and bearing in mind this is like a sound-based um, interview we're doing right now, so this is quite apt. Mm-hmm. It rhymes with the word mono. <gasps> oh, <laughs> great! He's um, happily married. Did he wear the shades? We should bleep it out. <laughs> I couldn't possibly confirm or deny any more details about that. But can I just tell you that my day-to-day job was data entry. On a Monday, I would come into the office and obviously the charts back then happened on a Sunday at like 7pm. You would find out who was number one that week. On a Monday morning, I would come in and basically do data entry, typing in the charts so that they would appear on the top of the Pops website every morning, every, every Monday morning. And... That is the least, surely the least glamorous, you know, thing that you could possibly imagine doing on a Monday morning when you work for Top of the Pops. I was just there typing in, oh, look, Craig David's number one again, you know. (laughs) I like, um, I like the contrast, though, where you you have one minute you're tap, tap, tap in the computer in the corner and the next minute you're getting hit on by mega celebs. Yeah. That's kind of fun that in and out I mean at least then as a young person you feel like you're really living (laughs) oh and just to balance things off again Fleur I think I might have told you this already in the past but um I I also had a mega celeb be incredibly rude to me and it was really crushing because I was a huge Take That fan in the 90s huge and um when I discovered that Robbie Williams was going to be on top of the pops, I was just like, oh, this is it. This is my moment. I'm going to meet him and I'm going to, you know, strike up, strike up a conversation with him and we're going to become friends. And then who knows? Um, and he was just really, really rude to me. And it was just absolutely crushing. Oh. It was just one of those moments. You, Maybe you know he was he- having a bad day. He probably was. Oh, and don't we all? And aren't we all a bit rude to people sometimes? But I was absolutely crushed. I was with um, I was with Robbie Williams when World Trade Center was bombed. Wasn't expecting that. That's quite weird, isn't it? I think we've had this exact conversation in the past. Yeah, but, yeah. it's quite strange. It's quite strange. So yeah, do we get any context for that at all? No, I think <laughs> we're in a cul-de-sac. I okay. think we're in a, a conversational cul-de-sac that we should reverse out. Reverse, reverse. Of... reverse. Shall I bring you a scooter? Get you out? Yeah. Beep, beep, beep. Like one of those things that Gatwick... Reversing. With the, with the seniors on, yeah. Yeah, let's reverse out of that. So you worked in pop. Journalism, though, really is what is at the core of that. You're, you're a journalist because that's the thread that carries yeah. on. And then... You were an yeah. early adopter of blogage. You became a blogger. I was. Uh, well, I mean, I was an early adopter of social media, really, because my I went on to work in magazines. And when I was working at Bliss magazine, I was instrumental in getting their MySpace page set up. Remember MySpace? And then when I went to work for More magazine, um, I was encouraging them to set up Facebook pages and Instagram and all the rest of it. And so kind of, and actually when I worked at More Magazine, I was aware of lots of our readers setting up fashion and beauty blogs. And I was like, wow, this is like a real thing. They're all setting up fashion and beauty blogs. So when I went on maternity leave from my job at More um, and found it like a massive struggle, like the biggest learning curve I have ever been on in my life was when I had a baby. Um, I decided um, after nine months, of being a mum to set up a blog 
just to kind of share what I'd learned and to help other mums who were in that situation. And at that point, it was purely me with a WordPress blog, no adverts, nothing. And I didn't even know that adverts on a blog could be a thing. It was genuinely 100% me just reaching out to other mums, trying to offer some kind of support network. One of the things that's interesting about the... um, um the mythology of blogging is how now the system has been so commercialized and is so prolific for the people who were there at the beginning the idea that you sort of did it for the right reasons just to like share that's a kind of a stamp of authority isn't it like I think we did so, it yeah. when there was actually no sign that you could make money of it, but we did it anyway. And that's I why thought... we deserve to get loads of sponsorship now. Yeah, exactly. We Give us the we cash. We didn't care about the money. Yeah. Give, Give us, us the, the cash, cash because... because we're totally authentic. No, for me, it's because genuinely I would be still doing this even if this wasn't my job. So for years, I was coming home from my paid job in the office and writing blog posts and in my lunch hour at the office I would be writing blog posts and I would still be doing that perhaps not at the same level like the same amount of you know volume but I would still be posting on Instagram you know I don't do this primarily I've never done any job because it's well paid I've never had a massively well paid job every job I've ever done is because I really love it and I want to do it and I want to connect with people in some way whether that's because you know I'm writing a feature for a magazine that I love or interviewing a pop star and knowing that somebody will read that and really get a kick out of the funny questions that I've asked you know so for me it's about being like really kind of explaining I'm, I'm genuinely not here to I'm not a glorified salesperson I'm not here to you know convince you to part with your cash to buy this product um you know that's just like in the same way that when you watch tv programs that you love and that has adverts in the middle that fund the production of the tv tv programs that's how I view what I do so now, on top of all of that, like a sort of French preserve, is um, the privilege conversation. Because when we, when we sort of talk about how I just do things which really matter to me and really important, you know, I don't mind if you, you know, buy this or not, because I just really believe in it. You know, we get to write blogs on lunchtime when we don't have to clean the loose and do a second job right. We get absolutely we get so there's all, there's all yeah, that sort of I'm, dug in there's all, i mean we should just you know that's the fertilizer we should probably dig into that one as well totally and i'm really aware that you know i got my my first job at top of the pops because i was able to go to them and offer to work for free so i worked for like yeah, a week for free for them and then they were like actually we really you're great can you stay Um, And I was only able to do that because after leaving uni, my parents paid my rent until the end of the summer. And so, yeah, there's a massive amount of privilege involved in what I do. Ah, Totally. Also, the thing about sponsorship is, listen, I know you, so I'm not digging you out. So I know about your integrity, sort of in terms of who you work with, your decision-making process. Um, But unless that 
the 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 machine it is still an advert and unless it worked people brands wouldn't partner with you yeah, so it does absolutely. work people do sell it yeah so so it is kind of it is um it is capitalism but it just it to- it, in a way absolutely is capitalism. Yeah, in a way Let's that, be clear on in that. a way yeah in a way in a way that is within your within your values and in a way that is aligned with the values of your audience yeah i guess the way that i look at it is that i used to work for magazines where i was paid a salary and uh the magazines had ads teams who would go out to all these brands and sell in you know full page adverts half page adverts sponsored you know um advertorials um and the way I look at it is that I'm kind of now doing the same, but on my terms. So I am now, you know, I've built up an audience of people who are interested in what I've got to say about motherhood and life in general. And the brands kind of come straight to me and I can work with them on my terms. Um, yeah, that's in a nutshell, I guess, how I view it. And, um, and sometimes you get naked for them. Recently, you took all your clothes off on Instagram, Alison. How on earth did that come about? I didn't take all my clothes off, Laura. Let's not get dramatic about this. Um, I oh, there was a, a wisp of chiffon, a wisp of chiffon yes. on over your essentials. Yes, over your waitress essentials. My waitress essentials. A wisp um, of no, chiffon. A, a few times, a few times, I have um, quite happily. Um, posted photographs of me in my brand knickers or my swimming costume or whatever you know um whatever i'm wearing at the time because i'm talking about body confidence and i to me it's something that's really important because i guess you know having worked on magazines for so long but also having read magazines for so long i am just aware that we've been fed this very kind of standardized view of what you know, healthy body images and what attractive body image is. And, you know, to me, being on social media and being able to show that I'm a size 18 woman and I'm quite happy to show you what my body looks like, I think is a really positive thing to do. And it just start, you know, it starts a conversation. And the, the feedback I get when I do it, when I talk about body confidence, is huge because so many people have issues with their bodies and i think it really helps them to see people who look like them on social media you do it in such a joyful way it always makes me smile do you know what really um helped me in that department <laughs> it's quite a weird answer uh tinder because <laughs> oh. honestly because what's really interesting about tinder when i first went on tinder my cousin was on it and she's younger than me she's australian and she was overstaying in London and we were we were out for lunch or something. And I said, oh, what are you doing? She's going, I'm on Tinder. And I was like, isn't that sexual? I don't, and I grabbed it <laughs> off and I started looking at it. And um, she said, no, it's a good way to meet people. You should have. So I investigated on that basis. And what was fascinating is that in that situation with an app when it's left or right, the assumptions that we make based on the messaging that we've absorbed from magazines is um, certain um, people, certain body types are attracted to certain body types, you know, slim and muscly attracted to, you know, slim and taut. It's like, 
And that's not the truth. The truth is that human being, or like human beings attracted to all kinds of different human yeah. beings. And on Tinder, that it's like an experiment that does that because you just put yourself on it and then lots of really surprising people <laughs> are into you. <laughs> and I, I chatted to one of them and he was like this, this tennis coach and he's just like really hot with a six pack, like 20 years younger than me. And we we're chatting and I, and he's, we were talking about tennis, quite innocent. Well, yeah, tennis chat, 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 chat. And um, we met up and yeah, it was talking about tennis. And I just thought, oh, maybe, we'll, you know, we're going to end up playing tennis, you know? And um, he's like, yeah, I'm into you. And I was like, yeah, don't, you know, stop winding me up. Just, And it's like, no, I am. I'm really into you. And it was so peculiar. I had to like just go and just process it because it was so against the messaging that we get about mm -hmm. who, what kind of person would fancy what yeah. kind of person. And actually we're Aww. still friends. He's, he's a really nice person. And um, yeah, I'll tell you the rest later, Marcus. Um, <laughs> but um, he's yeah, he's got a he's got a great backhand volley. Did you um, did you say. end up playing tonsil tennis with him? God, oh, Alison, you went there. I've never heard that expression. I have been re restricting myself. <laughs> You've from never saying heard tonsil that. tennis. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> oh God. Yes. Some, some some um, some snoggage occurred, and uh, it was really fun. I think I smoked a cigar to impress him, and it worked. <laughs> we went, but it was that was really interesting. It was like a reboot, saying actually doing other people's thinking for them. Yeah, we're, you know we're we're trained to do other people's thinking for them, and it yeah. and it and it and it doesn't help. Because, you know, the world's full of people. Every pot has a lid and it's okay if your bum wobbles. Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's kind I'm of, oh, God, Buckers is going to clip that. <laughs> Buckers is clipping that straight for the trailer. <laughs> I, try, I try and make a serious business podcast. I, I try and make a serious business podcast. Oh. Buckers gets a little snip, 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 and out <laughs> it goes. So I feel for you, Flo. I'm a, I'm a laughing stock in my industry <laughs> <laughs> because of Buckers is amusing editing you're welcome so um magazines how did your how did your opinion how your your view how you're feeling about women's mags change when you became the mother of a daughter oh i mean to be honest i look back on some of the stuff that we printed in you know magazines for young women and I'm just fairly horrified, not just because I'm a mum now, but just because the world seems like a very different place. Um, I remember working on um, a magazine at the time that Britney Spears was having her very public breakdown, meltdowns. Um, and, you know, she shaved her hair off and she attacked that paparazzi's car with an umbrella and they took all those terrible photographs. And really the magazine that I worked with, worked for, like many of the other magazines at the time, really mocked her for it. And when you think about how we treat people who have mental health issues today, we would we would never mock somebody who's having, you know, a clear breakdown and having huge, huge issues. Um, so I feel really uncomfortable looking back at some of the stuff that we said and printed in the magazines that I worked for. Um, 
to be honest with you, apart from Grazia magazine and Red magazine, I haven't really picked up a women's magazine in a long time. And so I actually couldn't give you a very formed, you know, well-formed opinion on what women's magazines are doing today. Do you write, do you write for them ever, don't you? You sometimes write for them, do you? I write, I've written for Red in the past. I, I write fairly regularly for Grazia. Um, I think they've got a really responsible attitude towards, you know, issues. And so I'm, I'm really happy to write for Grazia. Do you know I pronounce it Grazia? Me too. Grazia. That, that's your accent. I'm Scottish. <laughs> you, you, you probably see Bath as I've, well. Um, I, I do, yeah. I've been featured in Grazia, full Have page, you? and um, they, they forced me to wear a bangle because I was too mannish in my attire. <laughs> they, um, they had this sort of worried-looking hair and makeup woman who shuffled forward and produced this sort of, like, ethnic bangle and persuaded me reluctantly to wear it. I think I was wearing a man's suit and had short hair, and they were like... Was that around the time that you were in, on Dragon's Den, Fleur? Oh, God, don't people... Every time you mention that, people come and go and start Googling for it. I think it hopefully doesn't exist on the interweb anymore. It was... Um, I've, I've looked. I couldn't find it. I... I... Um, I... Like... God, this is this. Tell you what, talking about body image, Alison. If I'm honest, do you know what just actually went into my head when I said was that when you asked us at the same time? I can remember what weight I was when I was photographed for Grazia, and I can remember what weight I was when I was on Dragon's Den, and I was a stone heavy on Dragon's mm. Den, so it wasn't the same time. And actually, isn't that mm. just? <laughs> does that resonate with you? Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. I think, yeah. I can't remember the month I mean, or the year, but I can remember what weight I was and, and, and based on that, how acceptable I felt I was at that time to be on camera. And on the day of Grazia, I felt good about myself and yeah. I had it's a great picture and I'd be happy and I'd say, oh, let, let's put it in the show notes. That's so great. And the Dragon's Den thing, I cringe because I think people will dig it up and they will see will see that, you know, I was overweight and looked like I couldn't, was just eating all the cakes. And so I couldn't control myself, so I shouldn't be respected. I think that's totally normal, though, Flower. I'm getting over it. I think, yeah, luckily... I think so like, many of us look a- back at photos. Is, yeah, age is helping. Age is taking the edge off. And also parenting, because now, when I look back at myself then, when I was 30 years old in a studio, you know, with all these blokes sticking cameras in my face and trying to break me down so they could get good telly, when I think of that young woman there... I come over very parental, I have to say. You know, I would get into that situation. I would get in between her and all of those people and I'd sort it out, <laughs> right? So I think having that mm. what, that step away, it's like, excuse me, hi. I'd just say to her, excuse me, just get your coat. You just go and sit over there, that's fine. I've got this, don't worry, I've got this, <laughs> right? And um, <laughs> it, would be, it would be kind of that. So I think there's a kind of different times of life, isn't there? You know, it's sort of, this it, offers, but I, I think... Yeah. I think getting your kit off and, you know, being and the things that you were talking about on Instagram, it all it all helps. It all kind of it goes in the mix. Even it was only a little while ago that brands like Dove, the early adopters of having um, 
all different body shapes on their advertising. It was only a little while ago that that was seen as trailblazing and a novelty and it's becoming quite normal now. And I really like Mm. that. I really like when I look at swimwear, like the summer coming up, we're going on holiday next week. The summer coming up, looking for swimming costumes, you know, Bowdoin or whatever is just still very thin women but lots of them aren't. Mm. And when they aren't and they have someone with a similar body shape, it's not weird anymore. Mm. It's great. Isn't it great? Yeah. <laughs> Feels so yeah. good. Just we need more of that. Yeah, we really do. But, you know, d- different bodies. And it's great with the kids thinking that it's normal for them. There's something that really helped me on that front. This is all completely off topic, but it's really interesting. Um, is... One of the things I had a problem with, or, or like um, di- didn't, I sort of pushed back against, was this idea of um, extreme um, um, women with a very high BMI um, sort of saying, you know, love, love yourself, love yourself. Like love your body, love your body that you're in. And I think like sort of going from a collective place of hating our bodies like to the point that we would hurt them starve them poison them you know with horrible additives or diet drugs going from that to saying love yourself that's a big that's a big journey and then there's a new movement that i'm seeing about body neutrality and of just saying Mm. you don't have to love your body you don't have to look at yourself and think god damn Right? Yeah. <laughs> I just for just for the listeners out there, that was me demonstrating, licking my thumb, pressing it to my butter, and it making a sizzle noise because it was so smoking hot. You don't. You, that's um, thank you for that. I don't. You know, I don't think I'll ever get to that because that's not really who I am. But definitely getting to the place when I say this is the body that I live mm. in, and I want it to be supple Acceptance. and strong for the rest of my life. I want to stay alive yeah. for a long time, and you know, I'm really comfortable if if you know in, in how it is. Like that sort of the neutrality as as a as the end place is something that I feel is more manageable definitely. than the sort of love yourself. You know? I think it's so hard for most of us. It's so it's it's a completely impossible task for so many of us to have that body love thing going on i find i really struggle with it i'm someone who posts pictures of myself wearing my undies on the internet and i still have loads of days where i look in the mirror and think oh and i think body neutrality is definitely you know the way to go and i know that when i'm talking to my daughter about body image and about i don't know uh, body hair or the spots that are starting to appear in her face. I think being really neutral about it all is the way to go because you don't want to instill this kind of kind of fear of the very natural things that your body are doing, you know, is doing. But equally, you don't want to you don't want to be disingenuous about it and say that spot on your on it's your beautiful. nose just looks incredible, like you know it's all i can see when i look at you just like um the um the privilege conversations and the biases and the 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 race the race conversation so much of it is down to the nuance of language and like taking the time to try and pay attention to that as my grandma taught me at the age of 15 when i was covered in spots and very self-conscious about it and she said why are you upset and i said i'm upset about my spots and she said 
they're not spots they're facial bumps <laughs> and uh, she rebranded them Aww. for me and that it kind of helps mm. because certain words or certain things are so emotive. Buckers, would you would you go on um, Instagram in in your underwear if it was brand appropriate for your for your? Um. Yeah, I can't really think of a of a reason why. What? That's great. Yeah, I mean, I I'd be shy I, to I'm, I'm I'd be shy I would, to do that if there were if it was if it tied in with something if it made sense. But then again, I also really love the idea and this just shows how how much these messages creep in i love the idea of on my personal instagram being able to post a really nice bikini pic at the beach which is effectively the same isn't it underwear swimwear it's the same amount of body showing but because it's swimwear yes. we, yeah 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 and course. i i love the idea of thinking oh maybe one day if i've been to the gym enough i can i can post a bikini pic on my instagram and i have to bring myself back out of that because it's so yes it, it's been in 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 the society around us for so long that I, I still that's my first thought, and then I have to catch myself and Is go. Is it good enough? It to doesn't be seen? matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a lot of unlearning we have to do. The the, the problem is that we have been subjected to decades mm. of diet culture messages. We've bombarded with it, so we are convinced that only one body shape is the ideal and every other, you know, is still a work in progress. And so, you know, I think we need to go easy on ourselves, Buckers, because mm. when you have been brainwashed in that way from by the media, by social media, by the people around us, by our parents, arguably, you know, probably, um, it's, 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 it's years worth of, of work to undo that, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. The um, the prancer size years did have a um. If you've seen that woman, the prancer size woman, duck buckers. What's that? Have you don't you know her? There's a woman in a sort of eighties leotard, Jane Fonda type. It's right up her bum crack, and she's out in nature, and she's invented a new kind of exercise called prancer size, and she prances <laughs> round her side. She's real though, and um, the way it's shot, the way Amazing. it's shot, which is. It's um, exactly like kind of my era, eighties, and like big hair and stuff. The exercise things. My, you know, my mum had these funny ropes she'd attach mm. to the door hand and all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, I grew up in that stuff. The mm. um, the way I kind of look at it now is the I just the idea that you know my our bodies aren't here to be looked at. They're not a commodity. You know, that's mm. not their job. If you want to, you know, if you happen to be looking at it, that's fine. That's up to you. But that's not its job to be appealing or of interest to someone looking at it. Its job is to, like, keep me alive and strong and healthy so that I can be. <laughs> it's just like it's a, it's a reframe. It's an instrument, not an ornament. And um, mm. I've been reading Eckhart, to Eckhart Tolle this week. Do you want a really big one that is just going to rock your head? Do you want bomb buckers? Should we just, every week we do this, we try and give buckers some huge, enormous philosophical idea to just crack her head open and leave her in a darkened room afterwards. Just keeps me awake <laughs> until 3 a.m. Okay, I'm going to give you one. Here it comes. And it is, um, life is the dancer and you are the dance. Do you understand what that means? Mm. So do it again. Life, so life, life is the dancer, the dancer, and you are the dance. So life, it's saying that li life is dancing me. It's through through you. You're not. Through you're me. not um, a. 
a person connecting with nature, you are nature. Just like a snail or a leaf. And the planet's the dance floor. Nature is life, is expressing itself through you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, again, I just... Can I take a break? Just... <laughs> that would be a great time to have an ad, <laughs> to have an ad break. <laughs> and we can Go advertise and have a something really biscuit corny. and a bit of a sit down. <laughs> <laughs> Cadbury's mini rolls or something like that just something really really everyday while you process life and, and its meaning yeah. or lack of okay so one of the reasons I wanted to bring you here you know we always have a big run up on the show but we get there in the end don't we Ruckins <laughs> is that now your job is as a um, a podcaster and a blogger a journalist and an Influencer would tag on at the end, but I mean, some people put that at the front, that's up to them. But you had two more babies, congratulations, they're pretty great. And now your Thank husband you. is um, looks after them while you work. He does, he does, yes. Um, when, so he was a primary school teacher. And um, when I was pregnant with the twins, we had a conversation and it made no sense for me, who was self-employed and working from home, to take, you know, six months or a year off working and for him to carry on going into the school every day and he was leaving, he was like doing like ridiculous things. To look after hours. other people's kids. Exactly. So he was he was leaving at like, you know, ten past six every morning and getting home at like quarter past seven every night. He was, you know, and it, it was long old days. And so it just didn't make any sense whatsoever. So we decided that um, he would take an extended break from being a primary school teacher and that I would take a few months off after the birth. Um, but I could kind of just gradually, what I did was I just gradually started doing bits and pieces of work. But I was still at home and I was still breastfeeding the twins and I was still very much, you know, we were still a team and we needed to be because, you know, twins that are a few months old are very still very labour intensive. Um and I just gradually increased the work and started going out and about a little bit more to meetings and podcast recordings and things. And now my husband, so they're, the twins are two and a half now, and he is full time in charge of them while I float around, you know, doing doing fun things that I class as work. No, but it, it, it works for us. Standing against feature walls. Yeah. Standing against feature walls. Exactly. That's what Instagrammers do. Exactly. You see a wall <laughs> and then um, influencers have, have developed like um, chameleons and they change colour when <laughs> they stand against the wall. <laughs> they just blend in. We're yeah. doing camouflage at home. That's um, a really overdeveloped influencer. The, um, it is, it's quite a difficult one to talk about, Alison, because it, on one hand, I want to say, wow, that's unusual. What's that like? And then... It's it's bad that it's it's even it's bad that it's even so remarkable. I know, isn't it? I know, mm. and I get a lot of people kind of saying, "Yeah, oh, oh, right." So your husband is at home with the kids while you're working, and you know, and I, and I, I really feel so like you, you would not be having this conversation if I was a bloke and he was a woman. You would just be like, oh, "Okay, like that's the least remarkable thing you could have told me." Um, I also get, you know, a lot of people thinking that we we can do this because we have loads, we've got pots of cash. You know, like you must be, if, if your husband isn't working, you must have pots of cash. 
And actually, the reality is that when the twins were one, we looked into uh, sending them to our local nursery. And it's just the local nursery around the corner, the one that my eldest went to when she was little. It's not a fancy all bells and whistles nursery. It's just very, very normal. And um, we discovered that it was going to cost us £100 a day for each twin, which would work out to be over £4,000 a month, which would work out to be £52,000 a year. God. Right? So that's that's them going in full time. Oh. And so if my husband went back to work as a primary school teacher, he I think he was on like 27 grand when he left being a teacher. So you do the maths, you know. Even if we had one child after tax it wouldn't cover his salary wouldn't cover the nursery fees so it just financially mm. makes no sense unfortunately for him to go back to work right now it's funny how still i um we stayed with friends last week in Whitstable and uh, an old school friend of mine and she married her boyfriend who she had when we were kids and he's just a great guy. <laughs> he's a great, he's a lovely dad. And it's so nice. We've got a big house and we all bunked in together. And I find myself constantly surprised at how good he is with the kids. <laughs> it's like, and his willingness to do that stuff. And I find the same, Alison, in your story. I feel like it's, it's terrible. You know that thing I say, oh, isn't he good? Yeah. Isn't he good? Yeah. You know, like, wow, wowee, isn't he good? You'll find he a good one there. Actually, I know, you can actually look after his own children. Oh. How remarkable. Yeah. Do you talk to him about that? Has he, has he encountered anything from, from his side? Um... I don't know if he has really. I mean, God bless him. He, you know, he takes the twins along to, you know, uh, you know, music classes and all sorts where he's very usually, you know, the only dad there. And he just gets on with it. He he doesn't ever come home and say, "Oh, the other mums were looking at me funny" or nothing like that. I think he's just just cracking on and doesn't really give two hoots what people think about it. You're are you a family of trailblazers? I think we might be, Flora, you know. <laughs> I think you might be in your bra on Instagram and him in the playgroup doing um, monkey music. We're just paving the way the for you know families mums. of the future, Fleur. <laughs> <laughs> Twins was oh gosh, I remember when that happens. It seemed like yesterday, yeah. when suddenly you're having a baby and then suddenly it's two babies. <laughs> you were like that thing, <laughs> that thing of like these this longed for pregnancy, and you're like. Great. <laughs> it was kind of great. And we were all really excited because we just thought, oh my God, they're gonna look so cute on Instagram, double the fun, instant family. <laughs> How did that actually feel? <laughs> How did that feel? How did it feel to be told we were having twins? It was... Yeah, yeah. Tell us about the moment, that moment. It was the biggest shock. <laughs> it was the biggest shock ever, Flora. So we, um, so we had IVF. We had two rounds of IVF. First round didn't work. Second round did work. We had both, in both rounds, we had two embryos put back in. And um, we went for, when I got the positive pregnancy test, second, after the second round, we went to back to the uh, fertility clinic for a six week viability scan. 
and the consultant who had done the procedure who was incredibly um you know well respected and very very experienced in her field um she did the scan and she scanned me and she said oh there's the heartbeat that's the sack around it everything's looking fine it's all all looking good and she sent us on our way and we were just like, oh, what a relief to be told. Because most people have to wait until 12 weeks, the 12 week scan to have that reassurance, right? So we were just incredibly lucky to have that reassurance that our one baby was all fine at six weeks. So then fast forward to the 12 week scan that we had at the NHS hospital and we walked into the uh, room and the sonographer said, um, lie down, here we are. She said, um, is this your first scan? And I kind of laughed and said, no, 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 we've we've had a scan already. You know, that kind of, this is just a formality kind of vibe to my voice. Um, and, she started, and she said, oh, so, so you've been, you know, it's just the one then. And we were like, yes, yes, it's just the one. And she started scanning me and she said, sorry, uh, you were told it was just one baby. And my husband and I looked at each other and we were like, yes, kind of already knowing where this was going, because where else would it be going? And she said, there's two. And we just burst into fits of giggles. You know, that nervous laughter you get when you're being told off by the teacher and you know that it's a serious moment, but you just cannot stop laughing. Yeah. And so for the entire rest of the scan, I had to keep apologising because my belly was shaking from the laughter and the sonographer was trying to do her job. And yeah, we were just an absolute shock. It's um, it's a lot, but it's become your trademark in a way. I mean, it hasn't, it hasn't, Fleur, because if you look, there isn't a huge amount of twin content on my social media. You know, I think I've written a book about it and that there is out go. there. There we go, that's what I was leading to. That's to... what I was leading to, Alison. That's the ball I was feeding you to hit back over the net, the book plug. <laughs> <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, wrote, I wrote a book called OMG, It's Twins. Thanks for mentioning that, Fleur. Um, yeah, I, I did write a book it's about a great, it. It's the perfect book for anyone who's expecting them, right? Yes. So it's basically a, um, a, a guide to the emotional roller coaster of having twins. Because there are so many brilliant books out there written by doctors and medical professionals that will tell you all of the details about everything your body is going through. And mine has a lot of that stuff too, and a lot of the practical stuff. But it also has you know, a real guide to all the emotions you might feel and why it's all okay. Nothing is wrong. You shouldn't be feeling guilty about feeling in a way because it's a huge amount to get your head around. You know, not only finding out you're having twins, but then to actually have them and to be caring for these two small little creatures. It's it's immense. It's huge. Did it have a chapter on how to deal with all the annoying things that people say when you're having twins? It does indeed. <laughs> how can you tell them apart? And also <laughs> things it, like, how, how do you tell them apart? Also things like um, like double trouble and, ooh, rather you than me. And, oh. ooh, you've got your hands full. Oh. And yeah. all, all of these you've things. You've got your hands that... full. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, are they psychic? Oh, I haven't had that one. Are they telepathic? Can they move mm. objects by staring at them? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of twins in um, sort of film culture mm. and mythology, isn't there? Yeah. That are always um, quite mm. creepy. Dangerous. <laughs> Would you like to have twins, Buckers? You get instant family if you have twins. Yeah. No, thank you. I, do you know what? I, I just cannot imagine when you've, when you've got one out, then you've got to do it again. That's, 
outrageous. That, you know, I just can't I, I, I had a C-section. Can you enlighten Bacchus as to a bit of human I, anatomical? Yeah, I had a C-section, so it was just a case of lying there for a little bit longer while they rummaged around. But interestingly, um, the um, people, the team doing my C-section um, said to me, oh, sometimes, I think it was the anaesthetist who was kind of at my end and being very, very reassuring and just saying the kindest, most reassuring things to me, you know, during the the, the procedure, shall we call it. Um, she said to me, oh, sometimes it takes them a little bit longer to get the second twin out because they can wriggle away because they've suddenly got so much more room and it can take them a while to kind of, you know, get in there and get, get a hold of the second twin. But it only took two minutes, so it was fine. It was fine. Wow. Shall I'm I, clutching um, my womb as we speak. I'll, shall I give you a little <laughs> bit of insight? When Go um, for it. I had a I had a vaginal delivery, and um, after you've achieved a vaginal delivery, then stop um, saying it like that. It's a normal thing to say. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> then you know you deliver the after the, the placenta comes out, right? You know that. Mm-hmm. A percent is very large and you have no idea when it's come out. <laughs> so you have no idea or you have no idea if it's in or out. It's just by that point, after you've delivered a baby buckers, you're so on another planet that they you, you could drive a JCB through there and you wouldn't notice. Do you what, know do, what? Surely think... you just see it come out on the bed. No. Poor buckers. No. Poor buckers. No. I might have to clip that one out. We're going you know to traumatise a generation I, of children. I, I, I think I was like 37 weeks pregnant the first time around before I even knew that little placenta had to come out at some point. I was just like, what? Because you just don't notice. No you just don't, you don't, those things are the least of your worries. They're just the least. Yeah. When you say yeah. at some point, after like, the baby's what, days born. Afterwards? No, no, no. After, really oh, within after like, the baby's within born. Within like 20 minutes or placenta. something. So you deliver another large organ after the baby and you don't feel it because of what's just happened in that region. Right. Well, that's good that you don't realise. At least no. you're not aware of it. It kind of just flops out, doesn't it? And just then you can, get it, you can um, get it dried and made into capsules. That's oh, the made into thing. capsules. Yeah. Did you do that, Fleur? I didn't know. I am... Um, I am... Um, when, <laughs> when they ask you now, and I had all over my notes, you know, like all these instructions. So... They um they came in with it with it in a sort of a bucket and they said, oh yes, um just regarding the by then I had my baby so I was just like sweet, and um, they came back in and said, oh what um what the placenta just you know I just wondered if you had any special and I just said, incinerated. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, when my, when my mum had horses and we had them castrated, the vet put them in a bucket and said, "Do you want to keep these?" Some people like to keep them. As what earrings? Some big horse testicles in a bucket. Oh dear. Well, yeah, I, d- I don't know what. Maybe some people eat them. Let's cut that bit out as well. Welcome to the Real Work Business Podcast. <laughs> I mean, we've gone even murkier than we know. There's one. Okay. There's one business like topic that we should cover while we've got Alison, which is the changing financial and sort of career landscape of Instagrammers. It's heavily gone off the rails in the last few years and you survived it. You've you've um, weathered the storm. What was the storm and how did you weather it? 
Uh, well, can you just clarify which storm you're talking about? Because there could be a few, there's a few. There's been a lot of calling out. There's been people making mistakes and then being deplatformed, discredited, accused of things, piled on, um, mm. going back, um, um, leaving Instagram, coming back. All, all this kind of shenanigans I'm talking about. You know, the, uh, the, the modern right. equivalent of over the garden right. wall that's just kind of on steroids. And a lot of women have gone under the bus. So I don't want to get into rightly or wrongly, have they done anything wrong? But that's a mm, thing. Mm, mm. And sort of, as you observed it in your industry, you know, your livelihood's at stake when when something like that, yeah. you know, uh, if something like that happened to you, what did that feel like to see that happening to other people? Well, right, this is my take on it. I think that um, as a society, a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us over the last five years or so have been on a huge journey. And that, that sounds really cheesy, but like a learning curve. You know, we have all um, seen the error of our ways, whether it's to do with how we speak about um, sexism or disability or race or um, a whole host of things, right? And... I think that when you are doing that learning and you're in the public eye and you are one person who hasn't got, you know, like, you know, like some celebrities, I don't know, like if you're on Love Island or whatever, you've got a team of people around you, you've got management, you've got media training, people who are, you know, guiding you and holding your hand through tricky situations. So you've had all these people who are just there saying what they want to say and like you say make mistakes and say the wrong thing and that's that's difficult and i think that quite a few people have said the wrong thing and then perhaps not apologized when they should have done when people have said hang on a minute you can't say that and here is why you are offending this whole group of people here by saying that um i think that a lot of people, their instinct is to get defensive and to try and justify what they've said. Or they'll be like, oh, you can't see anything these days, which is one of my most hated phrases. Um, and I'm with you. I don't agree with call out or cancel culture. I don't agree with cancel culture. I think that people should be given the opportunity to make mistakes, learn from them, apologise and do better. And people won't have that opportunity if they are completely cancelled and end up taking themselves, you know, off the internet or out of the public eye completely. Um, yeah, that's, in a nutshell, that's my take on it, Fleur. Has it changed? Have you remained the same throughout? Has it changed the things that you share about or the way that you do it? Or So, for example, in real work, we have a, I know it's a big business, a bigger business, but it has um, a diverse inclusion panel of, of, of different women who look at things before I put them out to check that my unconscious mm. bias doesn't come out. So my own racism that, you know, I sometimes do or don't know is there, that it doesn't yeah. come out. So even like a presentation, we call it the sieve, someone, a second person will look at it and we've got these guidelines that we've created and um, we check that it meets our value guidelines and that I haven't, you know, that we haven't made any of these slips. Do you kind of, have you changed the way you've worked? Or do you feel like you're on safe ground anyway? I think I've just got an internal 
um, filter, an internal sieve. And before I yeah. post anything, I have that internal questioning. I don't always get it right. And even think some things upset people and it would never even have occurred to me. So last week, for example, I was sitting in Starbucks and it was on one of the hottest days and I posted a picture of my laptop and my coffee and I basically was talking about how I'd come to a local coffee shop to do some work because I really needed their aircon. And I got a message from somebody saying that they were really upset that I was promoting Starbucks because her partner had been tweeted terribly by them when he worked for them. And she sent me links to all of these um, news articles about how Starbucks were you know, treating their staff in a certain way. And I thought, oh my goodness, all I did was post a picture of my coffee. But then I thought, okay, she's she's allowed to be upset by this. That's the defense. You know? yeah, that's the defensiveness, though, isn't it? It's the same. Mm. That that first step is a defensiveness. And, yeah. And what yeah. did you just say? I'm I'm sorry that happened, and thanks for the. I'll think about it. I, I basically said thank you for sending me those links. I will read all of them. I'm so sorry to hear what happened to your boyfriend. Yeah, great. Um, yeah. Basically, and left it as that. Yeah, that's and that's kind of neutral. That's just saying, thanks for bringing that to my attention. I'll put the information into the process and I'm sorry mm. that happened. I think also so many of us have got this kind of internal um, sieve of if I say something, will people jump on it because they are trying to pick holes in things that I'm doing, if that makes sense. So yes, you have people who will approach me like that lady did and say, I've got a real problem with what you've just said and here is why. But I think that you sometimes also get people who are just looking, they're just almost like trolling, they're like hate following people and they're just waiting for the moment to kind of pounce on you and to either send you a horrible message about what you've said or to go off into the depths of the internet and anonymously talk about it there. So I think I've got this kind of like inner filter as well where I'm constantly thinking, like for example, right, here's an example. Last week on two different days, we ordered a takeaway. I would never publicly post that on my Instagram because that is total fodder for people who are hate-following to jump on and basically criticise and say how disgusting that is and how unhealthy it is and, you know, what a waste of money and all the rest of it, a million other reasons. So I totally now just share certain snippets of my life and I keep loads of it to myself so that I don't feed, you know, fodder to those people who are looking for it. So there's, some, in a way, what you're saying is that you're quite a cautious person anyway. You're quite mindful of how things you say may be perceived and you and you yeah. reflect on that before you publish. And sort of that's where you come from, from sort of journalism and considering how things are achieved, um, perceived. And then you've just tightened up your boundaries over what um, what is revealed and what is concealed. Yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. It definitely, whether one is a, one, whether one is a sort of a, a thrill seeker, that's you know that's a big um, risk factor in this situation in your career because if you yeah if you just get a thrill from posting a bikini shot and everyone just saying 
putting flame emojis or whatever <laughs> yeah. and it feels good you know, <laughs> that makes you feel good and you're just going to wang those things up you know that and you don't have that you're quite a measured person so you don't have mm. impulse control issues because that's when I it's don't. you know it's really easy to send it off the rails with those it's um it's lovely to see you having a career which is you know really family orientated where you've expressed some of the things that you had ambitions to do when you were younger you know in your sort of in your journalism and your communications and you're doing it your way you know i really i really like i really like to see it um who do you like to see on the gram let's finish with that anyone who you're following who we should follow Oh my goodness, that's a, that's a tricky question. Who do I? Oh, do you know who I love? Right, so yeah, I really love the um, women who are um, doing very funny kind of comedy sketches. Like, so they're, they'll post reels, and there's a lady um, called Mum and a Mike, and she has gone from like zero followers to I think she's on like 70,000 now and purely because she's creating the funniest little sketches and comedy songs and she's a very very talented lady and it just makes me smile and I think we just need more stuff in life that makes us smile we do great mum and a mic we'll put it on the show notes done and a link to your super book Oh, thank you. Which is the perfect gift if you know someone who's having twinnies published by Penguin Mm. Well done. It's a whole other show talking about how you got through that, but we've run out of time. <laughs> Thank you so much for being our guest, Alison. Thank it's you been for lovely having me. It's always a pleasure. Oh, it's been lovely. And um, where can people find out more? Instagram's your place. The podcast, what's the podcast called? Not Another Mummy Podcast. Not Another Mummy Podcast. On, in all the usual places. And we'll, we'll link to it all anyway afterwards. Thank you so Thank much you. and see you soon. Thank you so much. That's the end of this week's episode of The Real Work Podcast. If you want more from me before the next episode or you'd like to learn more about real work, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube where I share experience and advice for women who want to work and earn on their own terms. My Instagram handle is at doreal.work and on YouTube it's realwork, all capitals, all one word. Please rate and review this podcast if you know how (laughs) and tell people about it. It all helps. Thank you for being here. See you next time. Great, that's another one in the can. Have we we're recording twice next week, aren't we? Yes, yes, we are. Okay, good. Yeah. Thanks for sorting out today, even though I wasn't at home. I know it's a bit difficult that's all to right. get together. You know, every yeah, I'm pleased with it, how it's all going though. So thanks for your Oh, there's um and there's some awards coming up which we need to think about. Obviously, the podcast fun, it's fun to make, but obviously, you know, it's it's there for a reason, yeah. for a business reason. Yeah. And so we need to think about um, awards and can I have your support with that to um, start getting that moving? Yes, yeah, I'll um, I'll start listening back to episodes and putting best bits together, and um, right. and uh, we can write them. Well, it'll be a good, it'll be a good, you know, be a good learning thing for you as well because once you've done that for ours, when your podcast is ready to do that, you'll you'll know how to do it. So hopefully, you know, it's a useful thing to do as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, actually, um, our podcast has just been nominated for three awards actually at the um the podcast awards so um so that's really fun 
that's that's already happened yes yeah we entered a couple of months ago and yeah the other week we got a nomination for um best comedy podcast best female hosted podcast and they've put us in for the people's choice as well so um yeah if you've got time actually maybe i could send you the link and you could maybe um vote for us perhaps see if we could okay. um, win win an award for my podcast that i do with my friend. for being the, the funniest yeah, that would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> only if you have okay. time, though. Like, if, Only if you have time. Of course I have time. I'm happy for you. If you want to make a podcast that your audience will adore But the thought of making it yourself terrifies you to the core Then you know who to call Producer Barker's she knows just what to do, producer Buckers, to make your podcast dreams come true. She used to work in radio, where she was poorly paleo, a dab hand at audio. Find producer Buckers on Instagram at decibel underscore creative, or click the link in the show notes. Come on everyone, producer Buckers, if you want to hire the best, producer Buckers, just put it to the test, producer Buckers, just press record. And she does the rest. Producer Pop.